After contacts lens, lenses were first came out, a woman was pulled over by the police. Checking her license, the policeman noticed, this says you're required to wear glasses. It's okay, officer, I have contacts, the driver explained. I don't care who you know, you still have to wear your glasses. <laughs> How good is your vision? Now, physical vision is kind of easy to determine, isn't it? We go to the eye doctor and, you know, we can kind of clarify that aspect of it. But physical or spiritual vision is harder to discern. And uh, unfortunately, or unfortunately, that's more important than physical sight. Spiritual sight is very important. Now, some people thought they had good visions until they had got glasses, and then they found out what they were missing. I know that, uh, well, I wear glasses, not because I need them most of the time, but, but because I need them to read, and I got tired of going to the store and picking up these things, trying to read them, and I couldn't read them, and then I forgot my glasses. So I figured, hey, I'll just wear these all the time, don't have to worry about it. And uh, so, but it is nice to be able to go and read the stuff on the cans or on the packages that you read. Uh, Randy has a, he's basically allergic to folic acid. And so I have to be real careful in looking at the stuff that says folic acid on it. And so I'm sitting here going like this with stuff and trying to read it. And he's trying to read it and we can't read it because it's fine print. That's the same thing on contracts, isn't it? They make the fine print so fine that you miss it. And before you know it, you ended up with something you didn't want. <laughs> so our vision is very important. And sometimes we think our spiritual vision is okay until God reveals something to us. And a lot of cases that's true, even though, you know, we do have spiritual eyes to see. But when we see something, again, that we've read maybe a hundred times, and God opens it up to us with, a, with new meaning. I do that all the time. Uh, I do my reading in the morning. We sit in the sunroom, drink coffee, and I do my morning reading. And I'll sit there and I'll say, Randy, did you know this was in here? <laughs> and he's oh, I never noticed that. I don't remember what it was this last week. Should have wrote it down. Need, need mind, need help with my mind and my thinking. But that happens a lot. Because no matter how many times we read something, we don't always clearly understand it. And we don't always grasp the spiritual meaning of God's word every time we read it. If we, knew every, if, if we had everything in this Bible the first time we read it, it would be useless to us. But it isn't. See, this is a living, breathing word. This word is God-breathed. He breathed out these words. I know that he used uh, men to write them. And I know that we see the personality of that writer in the, um, what they write. But overall, we can see that it was God who breathed it into them. Now, I know that as I preach messages, I can preach in one way, and God will um, allow me to say things in a certain way, and someone could take the very same verses and preach a different sermon. I could take the same verses we're going to use this morning and preach it for the next year, and still preach different stuff. Because that's what God's ability is in his word. It's a living thing that we can uh, know every, every day. That's why it's so important for us to read God's word every day. It's because we are breathing or we are reading God's living word into us. And we need it. We need life every day. How many of you only breathe once a week? Anybody? 
No, because you'd be dead. <laughs> well, the same thing happens when we don't read God's word. We'll be dead spiritually. The less we read God's word, the more we're going to die because we need God's living word in our hearts and in our lives. That's why it's important to come to church. Not because we read uh, verses here, but it's because of the, the things that God opens your eyes to in the, in the message. And like I said many times, God tells, says things that you hear that I never say. And there's things that I say that I never knew I said. I li if I listen to the CDs, I usually don't listen to them, but once in a while I, I do if Randy happened to miss the message because he was in the kitchen to, you know, on Pop Bless Sunday or something like that. And I'll listen to it, and I'm, you know, I'm going, hey, that was interesting. <laughs> because that's what God does. As a minister, or even as you're talking to your friends or, pe or loved ones or whatever it is, you don't need to worry about studying the big speech about what you're going to say to them because God has the ability to put words into your minds that you will speak to them. And God said, don't worry about trying to figure out what you're going to say. Just open your mouth and I will fill it. But, of course, we have to believe that God will do that. And people don't talk about Christ to their friends and loved ones because they don't believe God will fill their mouth. But see, you don't need to worry about it. If you stumble all over yourselves, don't worry about it. Because God can even take those stumbles and bless them and make them mean something to the people you're talking to. It's just amazing the way that God works. But he does those things through us. God don't need us. We need him. And so we need to have our spiritual eyes opened all the time. And uh, so that's what God wants us to do. Uh, let's see, Mark 8, 14 to 17. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in a boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Now the disciples are having a discussion and Jesus stops them right in the middle of the discussion and says, don't you see? Don't you understand? Because the disciples were thinking in the physical realm, not in the spiritual realm. And that's the problem sometimes that we have because we, we live in the physical realm. So everything that we uh, hear or do, we relate to the physical realm. But if we just relate everything to this physical realm, we're going to miss so much because Christ here is talking about the, the spiritual realm. And um, they had this misunderstanding because they had just, one long ago that Jesus had fed the 4,000 with, with seven loaves or whatever it was that he had. And so I can understand the misunderstanding. They leave that and they're coming over here and then Jesus asks them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And they immediately go to bread because, hey, they just left that. They just saw that miracle. And the yeast that Jesus was talking about wasn't physical bread. It was talking about the yeast or the doctrine of the Pharisees that they need to be aware of, beware of. Not be aware of, beware of. There's a difference. We put signs out, beware of dog. 
Well, for a reason, because generally there's a big dog in the yard. But sometimes there isn't. They say, beware of of the dog, and then our little min pins run out. But we got three of them, so they're attack dogs. (laughs) But usually when they bark and bark and bark, people are going to avoid that. That's why some people who don't have dogs, they have uh, recorded dogs barking so people will bother, don't bother their house. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. And the disciples were basically doubting Jesus' ability to provide for them because they went right to the physical. Oh, we only have one loaf of bread, and Jesus is chewing us out because we weren't prepared. Now, we do need to be prepared. And they were somewhat prepared. They did have one loaf of bread. And Jesus takes what we have and multiplies it, whether it's our our finances or whatever it might be. Jesus can do that. But if we believe that Jesus can only act in the the physical, we're going to lose out on so much. Now, we have the same problem in understanding your your spouses, your husband or your wife, or even your sons or your daughters. That's why the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and that uh, series, that Love and Respect series, were so popular. Because this is something we do. When uh, couples come to me, for the f- for one of the first things I tell them, to make sure you're understanding what the other person is saying. So repeat what you think you heard them say back to them. And you'd be surprised at that one little thing, how many arguments it keeps people out of. And I've done this. I've asked Randy, I says, is this what you just said? And he'll say, no, that isn't what I, what I meant. Because sometimes what we say in our mind, we're thinking what we're saying, but our words aren't expressing it the way that we do it. And then we get mad at the other person because they don't understand it. Or they miss it. And it causes all kinds of grief in a relationship, whether it is with your children or, with, or whether it's with your spouse. So we need to make sure we're hearing what people are saying. And you can do this in all kinds of relationships. People at work. Because you can get mad at somebody at work because of what they said, but that isn't what they meant. And in the English language, there are words that we have that have a lot of different meanings. We can have the, say, the word bear, and it could mean a grizzly bear, or it could mean bear naked. Quite a difference. <laughs> So, and the same thing happens to a lot of words in our English language. So we need to make sure that what we're saying is what they're interpreting it to be. So say, if I'm understanding you correctly, this is what you said. And people say, oh no, that ain't what I meant. Because when they hear what they, what I thought they said, then they go, oh wow. And so we need to make sure of that aspect of it. Now this sometimes carries over into reading God's word. Jesus never nowhere commanded us to read this word. You're going, Pastor, oh no, what are you doing? That's heresy. No, he commanded us to study it. There's a big difference. If people studied this word and not just read it, they would have a harder time misinterpreting it. We wouldn't have as many cults or as many false religions if they studied God's word and not just read it. And that involves reading the background of what's going on. Because when we read the background of what's going on, then all of a sudden some of those things that we thought were confusing aren't confusing anymore. And so it's very important that we study the word of God, not just read it. Although reading it is important, 
because we, if we read it, our spiritual man inside of us just laps it up like a sponge. So we have to read it to get it in here because when it's in here, then God can let it go out here. So it's important to read it, but God never commanded us to read it. He commanded us to study it. And when we study it, it's amazing the benefit we get from that. Now, I know study it involves turning off the TV or turning, down the, turning off the stereo. That's why too many people don't do that. So it involves a sacrifice on our, on our part. Sacrifice a half hour of TV to study God's Word. It'll be the best half hour you've spent. And, of course, we need to pray. That's very important. Because if we don't talk to God, how are we going to get to know Him? We get to know people by talking to them. Not by what other people say about them. Because sometimes, if you notice, when people talk about other people, you'd think that person was a demon right out of the pit of hell. <laughs> but then we get to know that person, and we wonder, well, man, where do they get this from? So we need to actually talk to people to get to know them. Well, we need to talk to God in order to get to know him. And God wants us to talk to him. I'll tell you, he's with us as believers. He's with us. He lives inside of us from the moment we become believers. But then we walk around all day long and ignore him. Now, I talk to God when I was working all the time. People look at me like I'm crazy and say, oh, they say, what would you say? I said, oh, I was talking to God. And then they really look at you like you're crazy. But you talk to God and say, oh, man, Lord, what, is, what in the world are they doing? Or whatever that conversation is throughout the day. Because <clears throat> if somebody's with you all day, they don't like being ignored. <clears throat> And Jesus doesn't either. Uh, Mark 8, 18 to 21. <clears throat> Excuse me, 18, 21. Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful pieces did you get, did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. This is an amazing one basket for every loaf. He said to them, do you still not understand? Do you, do you have eyes but fail to see the issue that Jesus was talking about? See, Jesus was talking about clarity. Not just seeing. Or not the things that they thought Jesus was talking about. Now, the disciples saw in part, but they didn't grasp the full truth of what he was trying to say. And he was trying to explain it to them. Mark 8, 22 to 46, 26. He lost it. So the disciples only saw a part of what Jesus wanted to convey to them and to us. Because remember, this, this book, when wasn't written just for the time that they lived in. It was written for our time and today. It's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Or the Old Testament 4,000 years ago. So we got to remember that. And, you know, if you read it, it, you realize that it is timeless. Because we, it applies today, too. Uh, they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes, I don't, don't recommend anybody spitting on somebody's eyes. They wouldn't like it, but anyway. 
whatever it works, huh? The man's eyes had put his hands on him. Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Now, in the verse, these verses, Jesus touches the man's eyes, and then he asks, Eltisi, or whatever, however that's pronounced, which means anything. At other times, when Jesus healed people, he just spoke to them. Or he said, go show yourself to the priest, and on their way, they were healed. Other times, he said, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and they were healed. So uh, Jesus had all these variations of the way that he healed, because if he didn't, what would happen? We would be, our faith would be in the process and not in Christ. And a lot of people have that misunderstanding even today. Oh, you have to belong to our church because ours is the only way. We, have, we hear that a lot, don't we? But the reality is that uh, their faith is in the church and not in Christ. Now, the, the body of Christ is talked, called a church, which means the ecclesia, which means the called out ones. We are called out from this world, and we're part of the body of believers or the church. Now, this is a church that we come to every day. We are an Assembly of God church. But this church will not save you. There's no church in this world that will save you. You can join every single one of them and die and go to hell. Because membership in a church isn't what saves you. If it did, then Jesus wasted his time coming because God already set up a church and it was called Judaism. And they had synagogues and they had uh, church every Saturday. So they already had that kind of stuff. But Jesus called came to die for our sins, to fulfill everything that uh, was going on in the Old Testament. So he fulfilled everything so we don't have to. Because when we accept him, he lives within us, and we are covered by his perfection. Even though we sin, we are perfect. When God looks at us, he doesn't see us, he sees Christ. And so that's how we're going to get into heaven, not by showing our membership cards to this church. By the way, we don't have membership cards. <laughs> so you don't even worry about going to them and say, here's my membership card. God, let me in. No. The only way you're going to get in is when he sees the blood. Amen. Then he opens the gate wide and says, come on in. So that's the only way we're going to get to heaven. It's not going to be through any man-made religion. Remember, religion is man's attempt to reach God. Calvary is God's attempt to reach man. So it's a whole big difference. Jesus did it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a guilty stain, but he washed me white as snow. That's great news for us, because I'm glad I don't have to be perfect. And if you follow me around, you're going to find out I'm not perfect. I'm so far from perfect, sometimes you'll ask if I'm even saved. Don't laugh. I followed you around. I'd wonder, too. <laughs> But I'm thankful it isn't by what I do. It's what he did. Amen, aren't you? Hallelujah. Now, this was the only time in the Bible that there was partial healing. And that to us as believers, we go, whoa, you mean Jesus prayed for somebody and they didn't get healed instantly? Oh, no. 
Now, Jesus could have healed him completely. There's no doubt he could have because he did it so many times. But see, Jesus wanted to teach them a lesson and us. Because how many times do we pray for someone and they don't get healed instantly? A lot. So Jesus was showing us that praying once sometimes isn't enough. Sometimes it's a process that needs to happen before he provides healing. Sometimes that process is by going to the doctor. I'm thankful for doctors. I know there's some people that don't believe in doctors. And I think that's crazy because who gave them the knowledge to be doctors? Now, I'm a doctor, but not that kind, so it's okay. (laughs) But I have enough things in my life that I diagnose pretty well. (laughs) Our daughter called me up just last week asking me about a medication because her friend just started it and she's tired all the time. And I gave her some things that she could do to help with that. So I've had so many things happen in my life that I know a lot of stuff in that, in that realm. And I've prayed for a lot of people. And I've been prayed for for 30 years. And I'm still struggling with physical things because God can't heal me. No, that isn't why. I don't know why. I just know sometimes it's a process that we have to go through for whatever reason. And some people, if God healed you instantly, It'd be the last time we'd see you in this church. You come and get what you got and then leave. This is the church's come and get what you want. So once a year, we might see people, and then they'll put five bucks in the offering because they feel guilty because, they, they, you know, I get something from God, so now i got to put in my five bucks. <laughs> see, it's a process. So we need to keep on keeping on. We keep praying until God tells us to stop or God heals us. And we keep praying for someone that's lost until they're saved or until they die or until Jesus comes. So we don't give up. That's what this is one of the lessons that Jesus uh, taught us. So God doesn't, or Jesus didn't want us to have faith in the process. <coughs> so, <coughs> so why did he ask, why did Jesus ask the man if he saw anything? Why didn't he just say, can you see? The emphasis wasn't if he saw, but what he saw. That's that's where the emphasis is. Now, from this verse, of course, we learn one thing. This man used to to be able to see. Because he said, I see men as trees walking. So he had to know what a tree looked like before he could use that analogy. So we know at some point... He had his vision. Now, how he lost it, I have no idea. The Bible doesn't tell us, and uh, it doesn't matter. The matter is, is uh, what matters is Jesus lets us know about this situation. Now, <clears throat> after Jesus touched him, the man received partial sight. Now, this verse, like I said, tells us he had one time had, had vision. But see, the one other thing that we learn is they brought him to Jesus to be touched. See, here, would you touch him? See, well, Jesus touched him. (laughs) Sometimes we aren't very specific in our prayers. If we say, God, will you touch me? That might might be partial healing. Because we kind of get what we ask for in a a lot of cases. So we need to understand that to be specific. 
Now imagine being blind your whole life and then all of a sudden you hear about a way that you can see again. What would you have done in order to get healed so you could see again? Probably about anything, right? You'd go to the, do- with the doctor no matter where it was at, to if anyone that can provide you with that hope. You know, <clears throat> so maybe this man's blindness was due to sin. I don't know. We know that, that there are some consequences to sin in this life and in the, and in the next. We've talked about, I think it was, or Sheldon talked about last week, or was it last week, about the sin unto death. There is a sin unto death. And he says, these sin unto death, I'm not even saying that you should pray for them. But we don't know what that sin is, so just keep praying till God tells you otherwise. The only, the unpardonable sin, of course, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and the other one is not accepting Christ. If you don't accept Christ as your Savior and you die, that's an unforgivable sin, and you'll live throughout eternity paying for it. So, we need to make sure we understand that. That's why it's important that people understand that there's only one way to be saved. Because when they get hope in something that isn't what Christ wants, they're lost. It doesn't matter what else they know. They could could know all the truth in this Bible, but if they miss salvation, they've missed it all. It doesn't matter what else there is. That's the main emphasis of this Bible is salvation and how we receive it. And it isn't being, it isn't by coming to a particular church. <clears throat> now, this man did receive his sight. He could see something. Even though it wasn't complete healing, he saw something. He was better off than he was before, and maybe he was tempted to just get what he got and run with it. Hey, man, maybe this is all there is. Maybe this is all I'm going to get. But I like to look like, this. let's make a deal. Remember that show, any of you? Would you like to trade what you got for what's behind door number two? But see, they had, they had to hang around long enough to choose the next door. And the guy hung around. The disciples were like that. Because remember, Jesus said, had been talking with the disciples about clarity. And then the instance about the guy being prayed for or touched to receive his sight. Now, people heard Christ's teachings. Like the disciples and the crowds that they had then, our churches today are filled with people who see only part of the whole. They don't see it all. And we as believers, we will never see it all. When When we die and go to heaven or he comes and changes and we go to heaven, We still won't know everything there is to know because only God knows that. And he's not going to share everything that he is so you can think you're a God. So don't worry about that, but our eyes will be opened. Now, people are attracted to Christ for many reasons. Some of them for healing, intellectual truth, traditional feelings, and they do obtain sight. But just accepting Christ isn't enough because we we only get part of it. We want it all. Accepting Christ will get us to heaven. But see, that's only the the beginning. And when we open that door and we start walking through it because we've accepted Christ, that's when things start really opening up to us. 
And that's what God wants for each one of us. Not only life, but life more abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. Now, I can think of a lot, and I can ask a lot. Sometimes we believe in asking for a lot of stuff because maybe God will feel sorry for us and give us a couple of those things. You know, throwing up spaghetti on the wall and maybe some of it will stick. <laughs> because we think that, that God will feel sorry for us and we ask for all this stuff. And we think God is a, is a Santa Claus or an Aladdin in the lamp. We just rub our Bible. Oh, Lord, I want a new car. Oh, a new car with no payments. Better add the no payments <laughs> because you can get a new car, but you'll have to pay for it. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones described these people as they seem to know enough about Christianity to spoil their enjoy enjoyment of the world, and yet that they do not know enough to feel happy about themselves. They see, and yet they do not see. A lot of people, they know enough about Christianity that it ruins their life in this world, and they're miserable. God didn't save us for us to be miserable. He wanted to put a smile on our face, even, even though the world is falling apart around us, even though we're sick, even though people we love are dying or get in trouble or whatever it is. We can still smile because our hope isn't in this world. It's in him. And we can smile because, hey, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to walk on streets full of gold. I'm rich. I'm wealthy, maybe not by the world's standards, but by the standards, God's standards, we are all wealthy. And by the world's standards, every American person here today is rich. And even our Thailand friends are rich. Because they get to hear the gospel, and don't have to worry about somebody coming in here and blowing us away. But if that ever happened, we'd be in heaven before the smoke cleared. Amen, hallelujah. Now, millions of Christians believe religion is a pleasant emotion, removed from intellect, removed from his will, and demanding little except lip, lip service. See, some people think that except Christ, as long as we give him lip service a couple times a week, we're okay. But God didn't want lip service. Your husband or wife doesn't want lip service. He, they want actions. We, don't, we have to show our love. And how do we do that? That's different with each of us. Howard Hendricks said, Satan has called off his attempt to convert people to agnosticism, the doctrine that there is no absolute truth. And if you find somebody that, ask them if they're absolutely sure. And the only per per perceptual phenomena are objects of, of exact knowledge. It is the belief that the existence or non-existence of a deity or deities cannot be known with certainty. After all, if a person travels far enough away from Christianity, he or she is always in danger of seeing it in perspective and deciding that it is true. It is much safer from Satan's point of view to vaccinate a person with a mild case of Christianity so as not to protect him from the real disease. That's what Satan's doing today. He doesn't have to do a lot of stuff. He can just give us a little bit of Christianity and say, oh, it's okay, just go to that church once a week. Just don't serve them. Just don't serve God. It's okay. You go to that church once a week, and you get to go to heaven, so it's all right. You don't have to worry about what happens the rest of the week. That's Satan's message, and it's working. 
We used to be a Christian nation, and they claim we are, but we are not a Christian nation anymore. If we were, we wouldn't have the immorality legalized that we have. And we wouldn't have to have all, anybody can go in this bathroom that wants to. I guarantee you, the man better not try going in the woman's bathroom when I'm there. You'll probably leave without some teeth. You may have to bail me out. But I don't, I don't agree with that. And they could say whatever they want, but it won't happen. Because, hey, ladies, we have power. We can block that door and say, hey, come on in. You want to assault me? Or carry your gun. That'll work. <laughs> See, it's just amazing. So we're not a Christian nation. Otherwise, these things wouldn't happen. And the weird thing about this is the majority doesn't think it should, but the majority is sitting on their hands. They're sitting on the pews and sitting on their hands and not getting involved. Believe, remember, they grease the noise. If you haven't make enough noise, they'll grease it. How do they grease it? Through legislation. So if we want them to unlegislate this stuff, hey, make enough noise and they'll stop it. <clears throat> People only see in part because they only see with their minds will or emotions. They can't see through spiritual eyes. They see Christ as Lord. They see that salvation is offered. They see that hope is available. But this isn't their true sight. They don't have the true sight. A man from Colorado moved to Texas and built a home with a large picture window so he could view hundreds of miles of rangeland. The only problem is, he said, there's nothing to see. But at the same time, a man from Texas moved to Colorado and built a house with large picture window overlooking the Rockies. The only problem is I can't see anything, he said. The mountains are in the way. You know, it's what we see and how we interpret it. How good is your sight? Maybe we know the truth. Maybe we've even accepted Christ as our Savior. But there's so much more, so much more available that God wants to do with it. With us. The man in this verse verses wasn't seen accurately. His vision was clouded. Men looked like trees. This was not true sight, even though the man could see something. But he was missing so much. Instead of accepting partial healing, he tells Jesus what he sees. Now he was honest about his condition. See, sometimes and I've, and I've seen it on TV when I've watched uh, evangelists pray for the sick or pray for people that have a physical issue. They'll pray and they say, how do you feel? And the person, they're kind of, well, I don't want to tell the truth because I, I'm afraid that, that, that people will think I don't have any faith. And if I don't get what I want, so they say, oh, yeah, I feel great. That's crazy, isn't it? God wants us to be honest. If, you keep, if you're praying for something and it doesn't happen, then don't give up. Keep praying. It doesn't matter. If you go to one of those healing lines or whatever it is in those crusades and they pray for you and you don't get healed instantly, tell them to pray again. Tell them to pray again. <laughs> Pretty soon they'll get tired and tell you, I'll pray for you later or something if it didn't happen. But see, the reality is, it doesn't matter who prays for you. We have too many people chasing evangelists and, pray and chasing ministers to receive something from God. But see, their faith isn't in God. Their faith is in that person. And that person cannot heal you. We, pray for, we prayed for the sick here. We, we, we do it every week, if need be. 
See, I can't heal anybody. Only God can. All I'm required to do is pray, and God is responsible for the result. The problem that we have is we're so afraid that that we won't get healed, so we don't want to get prayed for. Well, how do you know that this isn't your day? We don't. So I don't care if you get prayed for every week. Keep doing it. So God gives you the answer or tells you to stop praying. Because God has provided that for us. And I know there's a lot of reasons why God doesn't heal. I don't happen to know all of them. And neither do you. We might have to wait till we get to heaven before we find out the reason. But until he tells us to stop, continue praying for that need. If you need money, continue to pray for it. Then you do what you can do. Because God blesses us as we're moving. They say a, a rolling stone gathers no moss. Well, a Christian on the move gathers no sin. <laughs> when, we, when we serve God and we allow God to work through us and in us, then, hey, man, we got it. It doesn't matter whether God ever heals me in this life. It doesn't matter because I'm still going to serve him. Will you still serve God if he doesn't meet that need on your life? If God doesn't heal you of whatever the problem is, will you still serve him? If God doesn't provide the need that you have right now in your heart, are you still going to serve him? Well, then you plan on, need to think about that and pray about it because it we don't serve God out of what he will do for us. We serve him because of what he did for us. And just dying on the cross for our sin and providing us with eternity and salvation is enough. Everything else is gravy. And we all got gravy in our life, whether we want to admit it or not. That's why the song was so popular. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And we will be amazed at what God has done. And we need to do that. We need to look at the things that God's already done because it builds up our faith. And faith is the electricity that makes things work. The appliances we have, we have to plug them into the electricity. But if the power's off, they're useless. It doesn't matter how many times you plug it in or how many times you pray over that that blender. It is not going to work if it isn't plugged into the electricity. We need to be plugged into the electricity of God through the Holy Spirit. And God will move us and then we won't be so devastated if some answer to our prayer isn't immediate. Because, hey, we love God, and that's all that matters. That's the main thing that matters. Where are you going to spend eternity? That's the important thing. Not whether or not God heals your arm, your leg, or your head, or neck, or back, or whatever it is. The important thing is he provided eternity for us. He provided forgiveness for sin. So we don't have to live with guilt. Number the one thing that causes a lot of problems in, in this world is guilt. People feel guilty over things that have happened in their life, and they relive those instances over and over and over again, and it eats them up, and it causes themselves to get sick. People look at everything's going on in the world, and they go, oh, no, oh, me, what's going to happen in this world? Oh, man, ISIS is killing people. They're beheading Christians. They're doing all this kind of stuff. What are we going to do? And they just 
worry themselves into an early grave. Or they bring sickness upon them because worry will make you sick. And God can heal you instantly of that problem if you just trust him. And then that process of healing can happen in our life. Because he provided the means. So we just need to plug into the power. Amen? Now this man wasn't satisfied because he knew there was more. I don't want to be satisfied because I know that there's more. It doesn't matter how long you've been plugged into God, there's more. And I'm excited about the more because I don't know what that more is, but I I want some of it. Don't you? Well, don't give up. Hang in there. The process isn't complete. But we have to be honest with God. When we're honest with God about our condition, God can deal with it. AA is successful. Why? Because the first step is admitting they're an alcoholic. If they don't admit it, you can force them to go to those meetings. You can strap them to a chair. You can do whatever you want, and it will not help them until they accept the fact they're an alcoholic and reach out for help. The same thing applies to us. It doesn't matter anything that happens until we reach out for help. And God is our help. God is the answer, no matter what the need is. So the first step is recognizing our need. C.S. Lewis said that the Christian life is not like teaching a horse to run faster. It's surgically attaching wings and teaching it to fly. That's what happens as believers. God has to teach us to fly. We are not made for this world. Hallelujah. We're just passing through. Some of us passed through for 40 years. Some of us for 68 years. Some of us for 80 years. Some for 90. Yes, right. But we're just passing through. We're not citizens. We have dual citizenship. I'm an American, but I'm a Christian first. But I'm a very patriotic American, and you don't mess with this nation or you mess with me. And I'm very outspoken about that. I love my flag. I see somebody's trampling it or whatever. Them and me is going to have a problem. Sure, they have a right to do it, but I have a right to correct the problem. It's like, like walking on my kids. You know, you mess with my kids, you mess with me. When our kids were growing up, something happened in school. I would go down to that school, and I put my finger right in the chest of the principal and told him, well, I won't give you the exact words I used, but (laughs) anyway, he got the point, and the last thing they wanted to see was me coming down there. So I think our kids got away with a lot more because of that. (laughs) Oh, don't call their mother. We don't want her down here. Because I'm just like a bear cub, bear, mother protecting her bear cub, and that's the most dangerous thing in earth, is messing with our kid. It's the most dangerous thing for a mother, too, isn't it, mothers? We understand that. You don't mess with our kids. <clears throat> so, but the disciples could, weren't able to see clearly. But this guy was after he hung around for the process. Matthew 16, 13 to 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, You are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. Now, Peter, I don't think, understood the words that he spoke in this verse. I think that that was taking his mouth and speaking through him because he didn't understand it until after the resurrection. Then all of a sudden, those three and a half years they spent with Christ made sense to them. They understand it. Their spiritual eyes were opened and they could see. The problem that the world has is they read this book and they say, I cannot understand it. Well, this book was written for an 8-year-old to understand on the, our level, on our level. But a little child can understand it. Once God saves them, a 4-year-old can understand this. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Those little kids' songs that we teach our kids in children's church, or the ones as parents we teach our kids, we need to give them that kind of stuff to sing when they're a kid. Because those are the important times, parents, when they're kids to influence their life for God. That's why it's important for our small kids to be here, to be out in children's church, so they can learn about Jesus. And they can sing those songs and learn those important lessons because that's where God starts opening their eyes. And kids at a small age can accept Christ. And actually, it's easier for a child to accept Christ than an adult. Because kids under, don't matter. They don't have to understand it. Look at the stuff that kids believe. Without no explanation that we could give them, they believe and they trust. But adults, we don't. We question everything. So when the Bible says, I, I promise to heal you, we'll say, well, how do you can do that? This is what the doctor said. The doctor said this, and the doctor said that, and the doctor said this. Well, God didn't care about what the doctor said. What did God say? We need to start listening to God. And when we do, we will get the answers we need. If you want an answer from God, keep asking. Because eventually God will answer it. I don't care what it is. He just wants to see how bad you want the answer. If you don't care one way or the other, he isn't going to give you the answer. But if you ask and you keep on asking, you will get an answer from God. I can guarantee it. Because God promised he would in his word. And I stand and I believe every word in this Bible, even if I don't know it's there, what it is, or if it's in there. And this word is true whether or not I believe it. I don't have to believe in this Bible for it to be true. You don't have to believe in this Bible for it to be true. Because God said it, that settles it, whether we believe it or not. Amen. An, opt see, okay. An optimist, optonomist, who placed a patient in front of an eye chart and said, cover your right eye with your hand. The patient read the line, 2020 line perfectly. Now you're left. Again, a flawless read. Now both, requested the doctor. There was silence. The, pa the patient couldn't even read the large E on the top line. Mystified, the doctor turned around and discovered that the patient had, exa had done exactly what he had told him. He was standing there with both hands, with his, both his hands covered over his eyes. He literally, he did what they told him to, but he couldn't see anything. <clears throat> Mark 12.30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. 
This is God's eye chart to check your spiritual eyes. You want to know how your vision is? That's the test. That's God's eye chart. That's God's eye chest test that we have. If we can pass this test, our eyesight is pretty good. Now, I know that no one can completely pass that because we're humans. But only through the power of God in us can we even do anything. The only reason we can love God with all our heart is when God loves Christ through us. It's the only way we can because we're imperfect and only true love comes from God. With all our strength and everything, it can only come from God. So we look at that verse and all of a sudden we feel guilty. But the reality is he gave us the ability to do this through Christ. And through the Holy Spirit living within us when we become Christians. So God has given us the opportunity to see as much as we want. John 12, 21. Then came Philip, who was from Bethesda in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. We would like to see Jesus. We would like more revelation. We would like more of his power. We want more of his presence. When we allow Jesus to touch us and then hang around for him to complete the process, he will. The secret is hanging around. <clears throat> in, Ontario, in Ontario, Rose Crawford had been blind for 50 years. Surgery restored her vision. The amazing thing about the story, however, is that 20 years of her blindness had been unnecessary. She didn't know that surgical techniques were developed and an operation could have restored her vision at the age of 30. Why did she continue to assume that her situation was hopeless? No one told her about the advances in surgery. If only they had. We have a world out there that is blind to God. They can't see. Because no one has told them about the surgery that God will do on their heart. So they can see. And that falls on us as believers. Matthew 6.15. Well, what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Who do we say Christ is? Our answer determines how we will live our life and what we receive from him. How's your spiritual vision this morning? Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, for your word.